You know, my prayer every Sunday, whenever I get up here to preach and prepare for uh, Sunday teaching and preaching, is that everyone would leave this place challenged by the Word of God. And that my preparation through the week and my willingness and desire to hear from the Lord would result in a word from God, not a word from Mike. Um, I don't want you to be dazzled by my presentation skills because they're not very much. Uh, or I don't want you to feel good necessarily about the message. I want you to be challenged. By the way, I did say it last week. Just you know that. I, I did say it. I, I didn't mean to say it, but I did say it. So for you that know what I was talking about, um, I didn't mean it. I just said it. <laughs> See, if you weren't here last Sunday, you don't know what I'm talking about. But I, I, don't want, I, I just really want the Lord to have his way every Sunday here. I want us to be challenged. I know that I'm challenged throughout the week. And if the Lord challenges me, that I know he's put it on my heart to challenge you. Um, I don't want people walking out of here feeling that we're good with a weak and mediocre lifestyle of Christianity. I really want us to be challenged. And, um, and in many ways, and, and if you walk out feeling offended, then that's a good thing. In all honesty, it's a good thing if you walk out with a little offense in your heart because it should, take us, it should make us all take a minute and look at our hearts and try to understand, why am I offended? What did the pastor or what did the Sunday school teacher or what did the worship leader say or anyone say that offended me? And if that offended me, why did it offend me? See, whenever you put the gospel up against a sin, or anything that would hinder a closer relationship with Jesus, understand that there will come a conflict from that, and there will probably be an offense caused by that, because the gospel and sin don't mesh. The gospel and the sin will never come together and be a feel-good message. And it's not my plan to preach feel-good messages. Even though I'd love to feel, preach feel-good messages, my, my, my purpose is to preach God's Word. And God's Word will always bring a challenge to us, especially if the choices that I've made that week or the choices that I'm in the process of making don't line up with God's Word. Then understand there will be a challenge that will come to your heart. And that's a good thing. It's kind of like being a responsible parent versus a good parent. We had a, a lady in our church in Brighton that did some parenting classes, and, and she had a, a good study on it. And it was, um, we learned, um, hopefully not too late, but we learned that it's better to be a responsible parent than a good parent. You know what the difference is? A good parent will give a child whatever they want whenever they want it because they're a good parent. But a responsible parent will say no. A responsible parent will require the child to learn responsibility. And the responsible parent isn't always a child's friend. So when you are looking at your parenting skills, it's better if you really are looking long-term for your child to be the responsible parent, not necessarily just the good parent. And the same thing with churches. I want to be a responsible pastor. And I want this to be a responsible church, not necessarily just a good church. A good church will tell people whatever they want to hear to make them feel good so they can go out and feel good. 
But if that's not leading them closer to Jesus, then that's a short-term perspective about why people come to church. So as we get into our topics over the next few weeks, and I pray every Sunday that there will be a good challenge that will come out of the service and you will feel challenged as you leave with some meat to chew on throughout the week and not just a rah-rah, let's feel good about ourselves and go out and be the way we've always been. Uh, If we're not getting closer to Jesus every day, then you're not growing closer to Jesus every day. And we need to know that. So um, as a responsible pastor and a responsible church, our purpose here is to glorify Jesus every Sunday. And it was to glorify him in our lives and in our hearts and in our midst so that we can really be center point assembly. So that we can really live up to that name. Because that's a big name to live up to. When we were Charlevoix Assembly, all we were was the Charlevoix Assembly of God Church. It was really not any claim to being godly. But when we say we're center point assembly, we are identifying ourselves with a person that keeps Jesus at the center point of our life. That means that Jesus has to be preeminent, preeminent in our life. That means he needs to take my place at the center point of my life. You know what that means? Is that an understanding? When, when, when you say Jesus is at the center point of your life, that means that Jesus dictates your behavior. It means he gets you up to pray. It means he keeps you awake through Bible reading. <laughs> it means that you live your life in the public knowing that Jesus is the center point of your life and people are expecting to see that of you and of me. So that when we say we're a part of Center Point Assembly, they say, oh, yeah, right. We want the glory of God to rest on our lives. We want the glory of Jesus to shine through us. We want the light of the Lord, the light of the gospel of Jesus to shine through my eyes, through my mouth, into my ears, so that I'm listening and hearing and doing and working and and walking my life in the public so that people say there's something different about that church, there's something different about those people, and I want to go there. And I want to know what is going on because there's so much glory, not my glory, but Jesus, the glory of God that pours out of us. So this morning, I want to ask you the question. We've been talking a little bit about our purpose statement, and that is to know Jesus and to make him known. But let me ask you the question And this is not a trick question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If someone were to walk up to you on the street and say, do you know Jesus? You probably would say, yes. I would probably say, yes, I know Jesus. But I want to talk a little bit this morning about what does it really mean to know Jesus when it pertains to um, our life? when it pertains to our overall mission statement, that is to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance, and how we really do that by knowing Jesus and making him known. And we really can't make him known until we understand truly, 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 do I know him? Do I really know this Jesus? Do I really have a grasp of him? And the reason that I think this is a good question to ask is because the disciples had problems knowing Jesus. If, if you look in John chapter 14, verse 7, Jesus was talking to the disciples and he was talking to them about the fact that he's going to be leaving shortly. 
and he's uh, going to be crucified, and some things are going to be changing in their lives. And Jesus said to them, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. If you really knew me. And then in verse 9, he said, Jesus answered Philip. He said, Philip, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you or among you such a long time? Don't you know me? Now, these are disciples that have been with, been with Jesus for now almost three years. They've been with him day and night. They've physically been with Jesus. And Jesus is still asking them the question, still making the statement, if you knew me. And I believe that if Jesus can make that statement to the disciples that were with him physically, I think that's a good comment and a good statement and a good question he can ask me. Mike, do you really know me? Put your name in that. Do you really know me? What does it really mean to know Jesus? That's what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to challenge us all with this very simple yet huge question. It's, it's a simple question. But boy, the, the ramifications and the, the implications of that answer are huge. Do you really know me? What does it mean? See, in your definition of God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit being the Trinity... Do you really have a good understanding of what that means? I know that there are those that define Jesus in multiple ways. And, and I know we can, just, we can define him as my redeemer, my best friend, my healer. He's my provider. He's my solution. He's my protector. And in many ways, he's my genie in a bottle. And that's what I'm not challenged about because whenever we begin to classify Jesus as my anything, I think that begins to form the problem of what it doesn't mean to know Jesus. What it doesn't mean to know Him. When I can call Him my anything, see, I can't own God. I can't own Jesus. I can't put Him in a box. I can't put him in a genie bottle and say, Jesus, I need you now. Rub the lamp and expect him to come out. See, he doesn't become mine. I become his. And when I get that perspective of, of my God, my Jesus, what I'm really doing is I'm picking bits and pieces of them that I like, that I can handle, and I'm putting in my little box. And I think we need to understand that really... I become his. He doesn't become mine. Psalms chapter 119, verses 124 and 25, it says, the psalmist says, Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Verse 125, did you hear what he said? I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testament. Who's the servant? Who's the servant? I'm the servant. God's not my servant. God's not my genie. See, it's when I can take on the character of Christ and not expect him to take on the character of me. That's when I'm beginning to know who Jesus is. Those are the beginning stages of when I can understand that my relationship with Jesus is not that he can become like me, but I can become like him. Then I'm starting to get to know who Jesus is. So many times, and maybe not intentionally, but, but so many times I think that 
that we try to make Jesus more believable. So we minimize him and make him our friend. He, he becomes our best buddy. And by doing that, we reduce him down to our size rather than coming before him and recognizing his size. We sang about it today. We, song, we sang about the glory of God and, and, and we read about it at the very beginning of the service that he is the creator. He made all things. But we can't grasp that. I can't grasp that. That a God that is so big still knows me. So what I do is I say, God, you're my God, and I start taking bits and pieces of him and I make him mine so that I can grasp him. And my challenge today is let's not do that. My challenge today is let's let him grasp us. James McDonald, in a book called The Vertical Church, he says this. He says, we have created a creator in our own image who weeps and he cares and longs to help but in the end, we doubt he can because we have made him so much like ourselves. In making God our buddy, we find him nice for cuddling, but not much help when the hurricane comes. And I had a really good example of that this weekend with my granddaughter, Joelle. We were down in Big, Big Rapids, and Summer and Tim were up. And um, this was the first weekend that I've really heard Joelle cry. She really struggled this weekend. I don't know what it was. Maybe she had an ear infection, like Jill said. I don't know. But she, she had a hard time Friday night getting to sleep. She cried a long time and finally got to sleep. But then Saturday morning, um, you know, went to take a nap, but just couldn't get to sleep. And, and I, I, we were, I mean, I was uncomfortable. I, I don't like to hear her cry. And um, my daughter was up, Summer was up trying to put her down and, and uh, for the first time, I really saw my daughter, daughter a little flustered. And she came out of the bedroom when Joelle was trying, they were trying to get her to sleep. And she said, you know, Dad, I think we're just going to go home. I, I just don't know why we're here. We just can't handle it. Joelle is just too uncomfortable. I just think we're going to leave. And this is 1030 on Saturday morning. And I said, Sam, I said, can I try? Can I try to, to give her a nap? And she goes, well, yeah, if you could, that'd be great. So I went in, and, um, you know, she's standing up at her crib, you know, hands up like that, obviously wanting to get up, crying and crying. So I pick her up, and immediately she stops crying and stuff, and she thinks this is great. So I take her down in the lower bedroom where I was going to take a nap with her, and um, I lay down, and immediately she starts crying again, just fussing crying. So I stood back up, thinking, okay, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought. Um, so I get back up and I put her on my shoulder and I start walking around the room and, you know, she puts her head down on my shoulder and I start to hum a little bit. And uh, I don't know what it was. It wasn't because I'm a good hummer, <laughs> but maybe just the vibration. I'm not sure, but it settled her down and she just kind of fell asleep on my shoulder and kind of laid there, you know, but in a couple minutes I could feel that she was relaxing and, and falling asleep. So then I, I'd lay down on the bed and, you know, keeping her on my chest and, uh, and, man, I tell you, that was such a great experience. And I'm laying there, and, and I could now feel her going to sleep. You know, you get that rhythm, that rhythmic breathing, you know. So I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. And I'm laying there, and I'm really enjoying this. I don't know about you, but when I was a dad with young children, I used to love my kids taking a nap on my chest like that. I just thought that was so awesome. What a relationship. And I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, you know, and I'm kind of just, this is a great time to pray because it's quiet and just me and Joel and I'm laying here. Now all of a sudden the thought came to my mind and, and this is what the thought was. It says, Mike, you're Joel and I'm you. And you know, when you can trust me 
that you can lay on my chest like that and go to sleep and let me embrace you and let me be your total source. That's what I want from you. It's when I want to take God and I want to minimize him like I'm me and now Joel is my God. And so many times what we do is we take the attributes of God and that we minimize them down so that we can embrace him. And now I'm embracing my God and I'm walking, I'm holding my God and I'm saying, my God, protect me, protect me. And really what I'm doing is I'm holding up a baby. What I need to be doing is saying, God, I'm going to trust you enough that I'm just going to fall back in your hands. I'm going to fall back in your arms. I'm going to lay on you. I'm going to put my complete trust in you. Then you protect me that way. And that was such a good word picture that I heard and I got from Joel that, that God and Jesus, is, they're more than my buddy. They're more than my cuddly little buddy that I can cuddle up with when I, want, when I need him. But they're the God of all things. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, who is the Word? Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh. That's Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the God. That is the Jesus. And I need to not make him my Jesus. I need to make him the Jesus. And I am fully trusting in the Jesus, the very word of God. He's so much more than just my friend. He is so much more than just my buddy. And when I'm tempted to make God my buddy, then the only way I can do that is to take the big pieces of God and put him into a smaller container. And when I do that, I'm basically taking away his power. That's why James McDonald says that he's good for cuddling, but he's not much good in a hurricane because I've taken away his power. And haven't we done that in America? Haven't we done that in our schools and in our public offices that we've taken the God that set this country up that we established on and we've taken his power from us? And then we say, God, where are you? We've taken him away. We've, ta- we've depowerized him. We've, de- we've declawed him. He no longer has the power in our life that he needs and he wants to have because we've made him my little God with a little G. And in many ways, he becomes a little idol to me. It says in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, For, him, for in him we live and move and have our being. In him we, are, we have our being in him, not his being in us. So if knowing Jesus is so much more than just being our friend and more than what we realize, then where do we start? How do we start? How do we, how do we begin the process? Well, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So I believe that we start with having a right fear and an awesome respect of who Jesus is. And when we begin to understand His Greatness and his bigness and his awesomeness, that's the beginning of understanding. That's just the beginning of it. But until I can begin to understand who he is, then I will always keep him small enough 
that I can embrace him in my own little box. See, it's not just enough to know God or to know about him, but it's that desire that gets into us to really develop that personal relationship with him. That's what Jesus is about. Jesus is about relationship with us. And we get that through a special thing I'm going to talk about at the end. So hang with me. Paul warns to the Romans, the people of his day, that even then, that God is more than just a God of head knowledge. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, it says this. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. See, Paul, in this passage, he differentiates the difference between knowing God and knowing about God. A lot of people know a lot about God. A lot of people know about Jesus. But if they would have known God the way Paul did, and if they would have glorified God the way Paul did, then God would have a level of acceptance of them differently than what he does when we keep him a little God with a little G. And how does this relate today to us? Well, do you know God any better than they did? What about, what about idols? Do we have idols? Do, do you have idols in your home? Have you made little wooden idols? Have you made little carven images of birds and reptiles and things that you worship? No, I, I don't think anybody has. I, not that I've seen. But yet I, I think that when we make God small enough that I can handle him, I believe we're making God an idol. Think about it. Think about this. When you take the capital G God, which is the God, and we take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we take his love, we take his mercy, we take his grace, and we say, okay, that's the God I like. Now, I take the big capital G God, and I put a little, little lowercase g, and I make him my God, and what I've really done is I've made him an idol. I've put my form of God above God. I've put my form of religion above the God of the universe. And then we wonder why we walk around powerless. We walk around why we struggle in our lives. Why we don't have the ability to pray with faith for healing. Why we don't have the ability to, to pray for finances and for all the other stuff that is so important. But we put God in a box and we just call him out when it's time of need. We rub the genie in the bottle, and all of a sudden this little God comes out, and he gives us a couple of wishes. And then when we're done with him, we say, okay, go back in the bottle. I'm good. I'm cool. Now go back. And when I need you again, I know where you're at. That's an idol, folks. That's not, that's not knowing Jesus. That, that's not being Jesus at the center point of our life. That is putting God in a little box that I can pull when I need him. Now, how do we minimize this, God? How, how have you done it? How have I done it? You know, these are good questions. You might think, okay, well, you're talking a big concepts. Now, bring them down. Make them, bring them down into something that I can, I can relate with. Because, you know, part of teaching and part of learning is not just having the big concepts, but getting them down to something I can apply in my life. So how have you minimized God? How do we make God into the my God so that I can understand and manage him 
and then control how deeply he gets into my life, allowing me to make the changes that need to be made so that he becomes the fullness of God. How do we do that? Well, I think one way we do it is that we say, and it's, I've heard it way too much, maybe, and that is that God is a God of love. God is a God of love. And when we say that, we automatically put God into a gentle category. Because we think of love as being cushy and easy and plush and warm and cuddly and cozy. That's love, the way we think about it. We like it to be an emotional feeling that feels good. But God is not a puppy dog. He's not um, a little pet that we can just say, oh, God, you're just a God of love. You love everybody. You love me unconditionally. And, and, you know, that's true. He does love everybody, and he does love me unconditionally. But don't stop there. Don't stop with that's what God's love is about. Yes, God is a God of love. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says this. If we want to understand what biblical love is defined as, it has boundaries, and love requires discipline. Love is not always easy. Hebrews 12:5 it says, "And have you forgotten, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son." You know, he gives us the word of encouragement. First of all, he calls us a son. Who doesn't want to be a son of God? Does anybody here not want to be a daughter of God? Would anybody say, no, I don't, I'm opting out. I don't want to be a son. I don't want to be a daughter of God. No, we all want that, don't we? Well, if we want that, then understand what comes with that. Discipline. God disciplines those he loves. You as a parent, think of your parenting style. You love your children. That's the difference between a good parent and a responsible parent. You love your children enough that you responsibly discipline them, right? Is there anybody here that wouldn't discipline your child responsibly? No, you do that because you love them. God loves them so much. Revelations chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. God loves you, and he's going to spank you. <laughs> he's going to spank me when I need to be spanked. And I should be thankful for that. I shouldn't, try to I shouldn't try to reduce that out of my life. I shouldn't try to say, oh, God, you're so loving to me, then just be my cuddly bear. Just be the one to put me to sleep and then leave me alone. No, if I really want God's love, if I really want to know Jesus then I have to be willing to be disciplined by Jesus. Then my love is true. Then it's pure. Then it's just, as we talked about in Sunday school today. God is a God of justice. He's not a God of compromise. He treats all people the same. He does not show favoritism. He does not say that group of people needs more discipline than that group of people. No, we all need discipline. Why? Because God is a God of love. So let's let God be the God, not my God. We also say that God accepts all people. And, and because we live in the age of grace, 
that God overlooks my little indiscretions because love covers it all. And we say to ourselves, come on here, we're, we're on good terms with God. Come on, God, you and I, we're friends. Therefore, cut me a little slack here. Cut me a little slack. I've got this little gray area here that I like to play with. I've got this little sin area over here that I just like to play with a little bit, God. Come on, we're, 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 we're on good terms. I, I'm better than the guy down the street. I, I'm not that bad. So rather than me calling it for what it is, I will protect the little sins that I have in my life because I don't want to be honest about it. We talked about last Sunday, a couple Sundays ago, I challenged us to, to memorize the scripture. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We talked about a light earlier in Sunday school. A light shows where darkness is hiding things. When I say, God, search my heart, I'm asking God, take the big searchlight of your righteousness, of your holiness, and expose what's in my heart so that I can see honestly what's there. And I wouldn't ask God to do that if I don't say, then test me, God, with that and show me where I'm a little anxious. Anxious. Show me where I'm a little upset here. Show me where I'm a little offended here. That's where the gospel comes in and brings offense. And so many times it's politically incorrect. Our, our society doesn't like to be offended by the gospel. Our uh, society wants a real nice message. Oh, you're okay. You're okay. You're going to be fine. But woe to the preacher. Woe to the teacher. Woe to those that promote that without realizing that when God turns the searchlight on, he expects you to do something about the sin. He doesn't expect us to cover it over and then say, oh, God, you'll, you'll give me some slack. Well, God doesn't give anybody slack. God's not a God of favoritism. He's going to be consistent. That's why it says to us, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says this. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Man, if that doesn't bring a little challenge to your heart, I don't know what will. If that doesn't make you wake up a little bit and say, God, what is going on here? I've known you for a long time. Is this me? And then Matthew, going down a little bit further in that same chapter, beginning at verse 21 and 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. That's another wake-up call. See, just because we look in our society today and we see these little indiscretions that I have and birds of a feather tend to flock together. And so I will, trend, I will tend to find people that are having the same indiscretions I have and what they will tell me is that, oh, that's okay, Mike. It's okay. You can do that. You're fine. And I will tell them, oh, okay, then you're fine too. And all of a sudden, we're, we're caressing each other with untruths. And we're telling each other, oh, it's okay. If you do that, then I can do that. And all of a sudden, we see so many people doing the things that are contrary to the Word of God. 
And, and as the Bible said right here, just because a lot of people are doing it doesn't make it right. Just because the majority tend to believe this way, it doesn't make it okay. Jesus is coming back for a righteousness and a holiness that lining, that's lining up with his character, not us bringing him down to our character. When Jesus was in the world and he went and he had dinner with publicans and sinners, we've said this before in this, in this church, and we'll say it more, but he was the influencer when he was in the world. He was never influenced by the world. There's such a difference there that when Jesus went into the world and he went and he sat down with tax collectors and publicans and sinners and he had dinner with them and he, and he socialized with them, he wasn't doing that to become popular with them. He wasn't doing, them, doing that to be their friend so he could be accepted by them. He was doing it so that he could show them the gospel. He was doing that so he could show them what righteousness is all about and that righteousness can have fun. That people that live a holy life can still live life to the fullest and have fun. We don't need to sin to have fun. Especially young people. We don't need to give in to the temptations of living in the world to have fun. We can have more fun living a righteous, holy lifestyle than the world will ever give us. Because it gives us a fullness that only the Lord can give us. So again, just because everybody's doing it, doesn't make it right because we just read about it, about entering through the narrow gate. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And, you know, do you really think, let me ask you a question. Do you really think that there will be more people in hell or more people in heaven? I don't know the answer to that. And I'm not asking you to give me your answer. <laughs> I'm just wanting you to think about it. Because the Bible says something that makes me concerned. It says, small is the gate, narrow the road, only a few find it. But wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through that. So what's more, a many or few? And it says many will enter, will walk on the road of destruction because it's wide and broad and it's easier. It's the good parenting. It's the good church pastor. The responsible parent and the responsible church and the responsible pastor, see, he will bring the few because we're not going to compromise. And my challenge to this church is that every one of us go to heaven. That everyone that sits in this church goes to heaven. That there's not one person that sits in these chairs week after week after week and doesn't really fully embrace Jesus. I'm not interested in just having a big church to fill up the pews. I'm interested in having a big church full of pews and full of people in the pews so that everybody goes to heaven. And I'm not judging other churches. And I'm not condemning any other denomination. Don't go with me there. All I'm saying is that if they're not following Jesus, the Bible tells them some things, not me. Do I really know Jesus? Am I really living for him with all that I can? Do I really love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Do I really? Do I really? Man. The writer of Hebrews gives us some good encouragement and a lot of instruction on what God expects from his children. 
See, because not all people are God's children. And that's another thing that we minimize God with by saying, oh, we're all God's children. We're all God's children. Well, no, we're not all God's children. The people that are God's children are those that are called and receive him as their father. That's God's children. Those are God's children. For those that are, will hear the voice of God, will hear the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and say, yes, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Now I'm adopted into the family of God. But just because God created me and just because God loves me doesn't mean that I'm his child. That's another way we minimize God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 31. There's a few passages, a number of scriptures here I want to read through because this kind of gives us, first of all, it starts off with really some, really some good encouragement. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. That is so good. And when I read that, I just feel the encouragement that the writer is giving us about our assurance that God is living with us and that I'm okay. Remember last week we talked about the curtain being torn from the top to bottom? Well, that's kind of what it was referring to as well here in this passage, is that the curtain here, which is Jesus' body, was torn for us so that we can enter the Holy of Holies at any given time. That we don't have to depend upon a priest. We don't have to become, depend upon a man uh, helping us with forgiveness of our sins through a blood sacrifice of an animal. No, Jesus became that sacrifice. So with all that, I have such a great assurance here. So, so that's good. So he started off by giving us encouragement. This is the writer now saying, okay, guys, this is really good. You know, I just understand how special you are. Understand the special opportunity you have to be in the presence of God. Then he goes on and he continues on in verse 24. And he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a great encouragement for church attendance. This is a good encouragement for those that come together in regular fellowship with other believers, that we encourage each other and we spur one another on towards love and, and good deeds and, and doing the good things in life that come as a result of us loving Jesus. The good things that we do, the good works that we do, we do them because we love Jesus, not as a way to earn the love of Jesus. But the good works are important, and we're to spur each other on, especially all the more as the day is approaching. What's the day he's talking about? The rapture. The day approaching of the, the rapture. And your rapture and my rapture may not be the same day. And I will tell you right now that I will guarantee you that every one of us in this room will see the rapture. Every one of us here will see the rapture take place. Now, it may not be the corporate rapture. Hear me real close. But the day I take my last breath is my rapture. And every one of us will take our last breath someday. So every one of you will find the rapture. Now, wouldn't it be great if we could have the corporate rapture come before I, we die? What an awesome experience to be part of that, to be part of that group that meets Jesus in the air 
Wow. To, see, because those people that meet Jesus in the air, they're the only ones that are going to hear the trumpet. The trumpet will sound, and all those that will wake, first of all, we're going to see the dead rising. We're going to see the graves opened up, and all those that have gone before us will start rising first. And in a twinkling of an eye, we're going, to hear the, we're going to hear the trumpet, and all of a sudden, boom, we're transformed. Our clothes lay in a pile of stuff on the floor, and we're in our spiritual bodies, and all of a sudden, we're floating up and we're meeting Jesus in the air. What a great experience that's going to be. I can't wait. I would love to have that happen right now. But if it doesn't happen for another hundred years, I know that my personal rapture is going to come. And I don't know when that's going to come. I don't know. So I should live my life then appropriately, right? And you should live your life appropriately, right? That if, you're ha if your rapture happens tomorrow, are you ready? Are you ready? Am I ready? How much do you know Jesus today? It's good encouragement. All right, the next part of the passage is where people begin to have a problem. See, the first part, we've been encouraged, we've been strengthened, we've been encouraged to, to encourage each other on. This, the next part of the, of, the, of the passage, though, this is where people that are so heavily, heavily focused on grace have a problem because they've taken the God of the universe by making them their God and they take away the teeth. They've taken away his power. They've taken away his holy and righteous judgment. And this is what God says to us. He says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So now let me ask the question again. Is God your friend or is God the God of the universe? How big is your God? Are you taking him down to your, your what you can control? You can, or are you holy and reverently honoring him? You know, a great example of this is, a, is a, if I was walking along and if I saw a little ant on the carpet, which I don't see any ants in the carpet because Floyd does a really good job keeping ants out of our church. But if I saw a little ant on the ground... And if I went up to that little, if I wanted to have a relationship with that ant, if I wanted to go down and communicate with that ant, there's no way that I could. As bad as I would like to have a relationship with that ant, there's no way that that, that ant could have a relationship with me. I have the power over that ant to, to spare that ant's life or to step on it. And when I look at the, the relationship size between that little tiny ant and me, it makes me think of that relationship between me and God. All right, now I'm the little ant, and God is the size of a human being. And the beautiful thing about that is that God has somehow, I don't understand this either, but God somehow has the ability to have a relationship with me, that little tiny ant. He does that because he's made us in the same image. He's given me the same heart that he has. But the, the size of that, that scope of difference between that little tiny ant and me and me and God, and God wants to have and he can have that relationship, I 
will never have a relationship with an ant because that ant has no intelligent life. And here's the other factor, guys, that's so important. That people that say, oh, we're all God's children and God loves us all and, oh, a God, would never, a God that loves me would never send me to hell. See, that is no different than me trying to talk to an ant. Because until I have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, really, God can't have a relationship with me. No more like, just like I can't have a relationship with that ant. Until the Holy Spirit sets in my heart and brings me and draws me to God, and I say, oh man, now I recognize who I am. I'm a sinful man. Jesus, please forgive me. When I say those words, all of a sudden, Jesus and God, they're looking and saying, oh, now I can talk to you. Now you and I can have this relationship that's so important to have. But as long as I am just an ant doing my own thing, carrying out my own life, ignoring God, pushing him out of my life everywhere, I never can have that relationship with him that he so badly wants to have with me. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So if we're going to be a worshiper of God, we have to do it two ways. In worship, we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. I can't be a liar and worship God. I can't live my own life the way I want to live God and worship God. The way I want to live and worship God. I have to line my life up with God's word. I have to line my spirit up with his spirit and I have to worship him in truth. That dispels so much of the political correctness about that we all can love God and God loves us all. Yes, he does, but we're not heaven, but there's no relationship until I worship him in truth. See, there's so much that God wants to do in our lives. There's so many areas that he wants to do. And the thing that I was encouraged about on last Wednesday, that video that um, we had with J.D. Greer, J.D. made the analogy of how factors change from the external factors of life are really not good at changing our life. He, he made the analogy of bending a big rod, a big metal bar. All right. Well, I, I, I like to use the analogy of love it, but like that, but make it a big spring. Okay, a big spring that I can I can pull it down. I can pull it down, and as long as as long as I have pressure on that spring, I will keep it in the shape that I want it in. But as soon as I let go of that spring, what's it going to do? It's got boom, pop right back up. Okay, that's the external pressures of of a pastor, of a parent, of somebody telling you how to live your life when it's really not your decision to live your life that way. It's when the Holy Spirit comes in and changes me internally that it changes the configuration of that spring so that when I take my hands off it, it stays there. And that's exactly what, what Paul was saying to the Philippians in verse, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See, as long as Paul was present, he was holding the spring down. As long as you're in church, or as long as you're with your parents, or along with people that, you do, that you're trying to look good in front of, you're holding the spring down. But if God's not really willing in your life to change you internally, and that, and that external pressure is taken off, the natural man is going to want to boom, pop back up to the natural man in charge. 
And God is saying, no, let me control it. Let me, give it to me. Let me change you internally. Let me give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in me and let me give you the desires of your heart. And when we start doing that, we're starting to know Jesus. That's when we're starting to know him more and more is when we start taking our hands off. Those who really love me, in John chapter 14, verses 21, those who really love me are the ones who not only know my commands, but also obey them. My Father will love such people, and I will love them. I will make myself known to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said this, Lord, how will you make yourself known to us but not to the world? And Jesus answered, All who love me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. My Father and I will come to them and live with them. But anyone who does not love me does not obey my teaching. This teaching that you hear is not really mine. It is from the Father who sent me. There's a lot there that we don't have time to unpack today. But to know Jesus is more than just knowing his commands. To know Jesus is also to know the commands and then do them. If you love me, you will do what I command. Are we getting it yet? Is it, all, is it settling in at all here? Jackie, would you come as you prepare to close? See, but Jesus makes himself known to those that love him. Jesus will make himself known to those that love him. Jesus will make himself known to those that love him. He doesn't make himself known to people that don't love him. He doesn't make himself known to the world. Jesus makes himself known to those that love him. So this morning, do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, he will make himself known to you. And then you can say to know Jesus and to make him known. But until we, until you, until I really understand what it means to love Jesus, he cannot make himself known to us. We read it right there. For those that love him, For those that obey my commands, the Father will love such people and I will love them and I will make myself known to them. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do you make yourself love Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? How do you make yourself make yourself love Jesus? Can you decide to love Jesus or not to love Jesus? Is love a command that we can just turn on and turn off? I don't know about that. See, because when I was first engaged to be married to my wife, my love was very effectual, was very easy. But yet, as we get older and we get married, and after 34 years or 31 years, 31 years, my love is more of a commitment now. I still love her. I'm not maybe as effective. I may not be as fervent. God help me for not being that way. But my love has moved. My love has changed from a love of affection, a love of feelings, to a love of commitment. And that's a different form of love, isn't it? That's a much deeper form of love. It's a much more effective form of love because now I do things because I love her, not because it makes me feel good, but because I love her. And that's when my effectiveness with God becomes that way too. That I do things for God because I love him. You want to get to know Jesus? You want him to make you known more than love Jesus? Here's the, one way, here's the first way to start. 
And let me leave with a challenge for this today. And that is pray more. Pray more. What is prayer? Prayer is communication. How do you get to know somebody? You communicate with them. And then when you begin to communicate with somebody, you start to know them. You start to know their character. Actually, when you start hanging out with people, you become like them. Birds of a feather flock together. So if you want to be like Christ, hang out with Christ. If you want to become like Jesus, if you want to get to know Jesus, then spend time with Jesus. The way you spend time with Jesus is on your knees. The way you spend time with Jesus is in the Bible. Read about him. Pray to him. Listen to him. Let him give words back to you. Pray. 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 Communicate. I can't stress that enough. So this challenge I have for, the, for you this week, if you're not picking it up, the past number of weeks we've been talking more about the glory of God. And we're going to keep talking about the glory of God. But the way the glory of God falls through in us is through our communication with Him, and it's our prayer. Now, I know that it's hard sometimes to pray. But let me challenge you with this. I'm All throughout the weeks, whenever I'm here, the church is always unlocked. There's always music playing in the sanctuary. And I'm going to encourage you as one way. When you, if you're running through town and if you've got 15 minutes... Come on up. Come on up and just walk the sanctuary and pray. It will be open. And I will just, you know, I trust the community. I think we, will, we can just leave the doors unlocked in the morning. If I'm, if I'm going to take a short ride or whatever, I'll leave the doors unlocked. The music will be playing. Come in and pray. Pray at home. Jackie and Jill are going to make a CD. Um, they're in the process of making a worship CD for all of us to take home. And I think it's nice when we have their voices because we're comfortable with their voices. We're comfortable with the songs that we sing here. Get the CD. Put it in your car. Put it in your home. Just encourage yourself to pray. You want to be like Jesus? You've got to spend time with him. Father, I just thank you. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for the, this good word of encouragement today. Lord, I pray that it has challenged our hearts. I know you put a challenge in my heart this week. And I pray, Lord, that through this message that you have been able to um, challenge all of us, Lord, with a challenge to pray, a challenge to not be willing to compromise with the worldly principles of what successful life is, but really understand who you are. Help us, Jesus. Give us a desire in our heart. Lord, give us the desire. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you just come in and, and take over our hearts. Give us the desire to get to know you more so that we really can know you, Jesus. That we really can know your love, your grace, your compassion, your mercy, your justice, your righteousness, your holiness. Lord, give us a great week as we go, I pray. Bring us into more times of prayer, more fervent times of prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just ask you to make yourself known to us now this week, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 The more